Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a program about the wonderful world of motoring and transport. I'm David Brown. And in this program we look at news stories including do bicycle helmets and average speed cameras reduce the number of injuries and fatalities. We reflect a little on an email from a listener when we hear from a car owner who has meticulously researched issues of getting your car serviced. We also have a few driving impressions of the Ford Mustang and the Audi A4 Avant. And in our panel discussion with Errol Smith we take a light-hearted look at stories including Scania makes a real clock from real trucks. Have a question or a comment? Send it to overdrive at drivenmedia.com.au. Now to start the program, let's have the news. Two researchers from the School of Mathematics and Statistics at the University of New South Wales have looked at 40 worldwide studies about whether bicycle helmets help to reduce injuries for bike riders. They confirm that wearing bicycle helmets significantly reduces your chances of injury or death. Helmet use is associated with odds reductions of 51% for head injury, 69% for serious head injury, 33% for face injury and 65% for fatal head injury. Injuries to the neck were rare and not associated with helmet use. They concluded that the results support the use of strategies to increase the uptake of bicycle helmets as part of a comprehensive cycling safety plan. Now that Ford has stopped manufacturing cars in Australia, what is the future for car industry jobs in this country? Research conducted for the Australian Driverless Vehicle Initiative Organisation concluded that Australia could unlock $95 billion a year in economic value and generate 16,000 new jobs by taking a more proactive approach to the introduction of autonomous vehicles in Australia. The group is advocating for the development of a five-year funding and incentive package focused on research, development, demonstration and deployment, similar to the UK's $177 million Intelligent Mobility Fund, which is predicted to fast-track $1.6 trillion in productivity benefits. The use of average speed cameras has been found, on average, to cut the number of crashes resulting in death or serious injury by more than a third. Research for the UK RAC Foundation by Road Safety Analysis found that, on average, having allowed for natural variation and overall trends, the number of fatal and serious collisions decreased by 36% after average speed cameras are introduced. The average reduction in personal injury collisions of all severities was found to be 16%. By the end of 2015, there will be at least 50 stretches of road in Great Britain permanently covered by average speed cameras, keeping a total length of 410 kilometres under observation. The Queensland Government has just opened the Redcliffe Peninsula Railway Line. It is a 12.6 dual carriage passenger rail line from Petrie to Kipper Ring. The government described it as a once-in-a-generation project. Actually, it's longer than that. It was 131 years ago when the idea of a rail link to the Redcliffe region first came about. In September 1885, a deputation went to the then Minister for Works asking for a survey for a railway. A historian for Queensland Rail, Greg Hallam, 
has estimated that there has been at least 22 different concepts and variations of the Red Cliff Line since the first was planned in the late 19th century. Are there any positive ways to encourage people to use public transport? As a short-term promotion, commuters can claim free travel on London public transport on four special days in October if you use Android Pay. Android Pay users can also claim a free coffee or hot drink on these days at any specialist cafes in England. Android Pay, Google's contactless payment system, has been available in the UK for around four months. An unusual partnership in Japan between a car maker, a communication company and a food and beverage provider has launched an app-based initiative that aims to reduce distracted driving crashes using coffee as an incentive. For 13 consecutive years, Aichi Prefecture has had the highest rate of traffic fatalities in Japan. In 2015, there were over 44,000 traffic accidents that resulted in injuries or deaths and over 50,000 arrests involving the use of smartphones while driving. Using the gyro sensor to sense the tilt of the smartphone body and the GPS to determine the distance driven, the application measures the distance the driver has driven while leaving the smartphone face down. When the cumulative distance reaches 100 kilometres for the first time and every 200 kilometres thereafter, the driver can receive a coupon for a cup of blended or iced coffee at a Kamida coffee shop. And that has been the news. We had an email from a listener recently about getting a service on your car. Merv, the listener, was concerned about the cost and the necessity for such frequent services. I thought we'd talk to someone who is A, a keen motorist, B, has been known to do his own service, has a high degree of attention to detail and is not afraid to inform a dealer if he thinks the service arrangements need some improving and he definitely thinks they need some improving. Alan is an engineer and a good friend of this program, and he joins us on the line now. Alan, thank you very much for your time. Not at all, David. Now, Alan, I'll just confirm your credentials here. You have owned many cars over the years, and you still have the paperwork for most of the servicing you have done on the car. I think that indicates a certain, uh, uh, as I said, attention to detail. Yes, I guess uh, it's uh, pretty tragic in one way, but I have kept most of the records uh, for the various cars that I've owned over the years, going back to, I think, my first car that I bought in 1971. <laughs> I love it. I'm not saying that I refer to it on a regular basis. You've done servicing on your own car, but you've also done partial servicing. How does that work? Up until about five years ago or six years ago, I was doing the oil change and filter change uh, on my car. I'd actually been taught by my father many, many years ago how to do basic car servicing. And of course, on older cars, it was possible to even do things like replace the gaskets in the carburetor and so on. These days, uh, the cars have so much electronics and computer-controlled engine management systems that it's much harder to do uh, any of the uh, complicated servicing tasks. So I was changing the oil and changing the oil filter, but then taking the car along to the dealer to have the remainder of the service items done. And that caused some uh, angst from the dealer's point of view. 
Well, you have a concern when they do change the oil, don't you, for how they actually work out uh, what to charge you? Yes, I've noticed that uh, most of the invoices I get from the services on my cars include an amount for five litres of oil, but many cars don't actually require a full five litres of oil when the oil and the filter is changed. And in any case, the dealer would be, I'm sure, drawing the oil out of a 200-litre drum and therefore should be able to charge you just the amount that the, um, the service requires. Uh, in some cars, it would only be, for example, 3.6 litres. I always seem to get charged by 5 litres. Yeah, it's not as if they're buying a bottle of it and they've got to throw away anything that's left over. And it's also, of course, they're buying it both... Uh, in bulk in terms of being able to just, you know, use it only the correct amount, but also, of course, in cheapness. You, you're concerned about the price. Absolutely. One of the last services that I had done, I paid $121.50 for five litres of oil. And uh, mm. I think you could buy the same oil at, uh, at Repco or other retail outlets for around $80. On one of my last services, um, I was charged $11 for windscreen additives which just seems amazing to me. I, I doubt that the windscreen washer container would have taken um, anything more than 100 millilitres. And we talked to Alan in more detail, including how frequently we should be checking things in our cars, including tyre pressures and other factors. And you can hear that extended interview by going to our website at drivenmedia.com.au. And after this short break, we'll talk to Alan about his impressions of driving the Mustang and the Audi A4. This is Overdrive across Australia. You had a little drive of the Mustang. Did you enjoy it? Yes, I did. I, I thought, from what I understand in the previous uh, version that came to Australia more than 10 years ago, it was a much better car, and uh, it certainly looks the part. It's a, it's a great-looking muscle car, and it's reinvigorated the earlier uh, versions of the Mustang in terms of its styling. Yes. I did think that the steering was a little indirect and that it had fairly long accelerator travel before too much action started to happen from the, uh, from the engine. And I'm wondering whether that might have been a fuel-saving technique that uh, Ford has, uh, has tried to introduce. The other thing is that if you press it uh, too far, gee, it's not hard to break the traction on the rear wheels. I was just amazed at the amount of power in a car. The other thing is uh, we, we, I, I've had a go of the now the Falcon six-cylinder with the turbo in it, and a bit like the Audi we drove the other day too, it was sharper. The Mustang was fantastic. It surged, but it was like a tugboat, you know, powerful, square, and a bit blunt in a way. Uh, whereas the turbocharged cars, two different cars altogether, the Audi and the Falcon, but both of them were very, very sharper, more, almost seemed more accurate in, in what they did. I'd agree with that. Uh, my impression of the Mustang was that um, it had softer suspension, and I think the suspension is perhaps biased more for ride than, than handling, whereas the, the Audi that we drove, uh, the A4 Avant wagon, one of the first things I noticed when I drove it was the immediate urge, even under gentle acceleration, and mm. the fact that it feels much more connected to the road, much sharper overall. 
Yeah, an and interesting time. I think that's perhaps then the Mustang, big Detroit iron V8 up the front, uh, although you can get them with a four-cylinder, of course, turbo. But it was perhaps a little bit of the old school, whereas a, a modern car, it's a new car, new design, but perhaps uh, one that is... Uh, perhaps uh, less of a heritage there has more of a certain sharpness to it and i think um that i don't know what the official fuel consumption figure for the mustang is but i suspect it's a, a whole lot more than the uh, audi for example we were getting about 13 i think 13 and a half okay all right liters per hundred yeah whereas i think the audi would typically be more around eight or nine or something like that uh, i think that's right in city driving yeah I actually thought the, the Audi wagon was a really um, versatile family wagon for both suburban and um, and some faster open road driving. Uh, obviously not suited for extreme off-road driving, but uh, with its quattro uh, all-wheel drive uh, traction, I think it would make a really great uh, all-round family vehicle. It's just a pity it costs so much. Uh, yes, uh, $72,000 as a base model, but we had a few options on it, up to $95,000. Pretty amazing. I said uh, rather quickly, a few options, <laughs> and, and, and they were you know, quite extensive, but gee, they're still pricey, a bit, bit like the price of the oil in your car. Yes, that's right. probably priming for premium oil. <laughs> Alan, lovely to talk to you. Thank you very much for your time. Thanks, David. Good to talk to you. Bye. And that's Alan Finlay, and we were talking about uh, servicing your cars, but also driving a few things like the Mustang and the Audi. You're listening to Overdrive. Now we finally come to that segment of the program where we discuss in a more light-hearted way issues that have come to our attention. And I'm joined once again on the line by Errol Smith. G'day, Errol. G'day, David. Now, we talked a few weeks ago about Bentley, the new Bentayga SUV, and how it had an option of a $300,000 clock. And we thought that was outrageous. Well, apparently that's absolutely nothing. Compared to the clock that Scania, the truck company, has put together for an unusual project. They got 14 trucks. They laid it out like a giant clock with a truck at each hour point, but also trucks driving around to represent the hands of a clock. What's the value of that? Well, you can see it from the air. They're only doing it for 24 hours, but Errol, surely 24 hours is more than enough. Yes. <laughs> maybe they just didn't think that they could just record a shorter amount, you know, maybe with, with video trickery, turn it into 24. I, I was a bit concerned um, about this, David, because um, he's driving these trucks non-stop for 24 hours. Now, this doesn't seem like a very safe demonstration. Well, they had 90 drivers, so they must have swapped the drivers over. My question is, how did they swap them over? Yes, I, I, I was trying to figure that out too, but I, I wasn't prepared to watch it for 24 hours um, to find out. <laughs> I, I, I kind of assumed that maybe they, they drove one truck off and had another one come on um, or, or something like that. But um, The principle of this is to show that they're reliable and so mm. the trucks run. Now, I think they were the one truck running all the time, but just with different drivers. Now, the trucks take the second hand. I mean, to some degree, the worst driving one would be the hour hand, surely. The hour mm. hand near the centre of the actual clock. They were demonstrating demonstrating stop-start 
traffic in this one. What were they? What they did with those those ones that didn't move quite as quick is they just started them once a minute, moved them, stopped again. Did that every minute. They started it up, moved it a bit, stopped it a bit. <laughs> Why is it that when you look at a clock and you look at the second hand, it always seems like it's pausing just before it goes to the next one? I, I don't know, David. You so know I'm that sure feeling? An, an, if, I, I do. I do. It's, 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 I assume it's an optical illusion of, of some kind. No, I think it's something to do with the fact that it takes your brain a, a fraction of a second to adapt to what you're seeing. Yes. So the first image you sort of get is really one of a stationary one of where it's at. Right. That's by the by. Now, the, the second-hand clock, uh, the trucks had to drive in a perfect circle every 60 seconds for 24 hours. The inside truck had a maximum speed of about 8 miles an hour, and the outside truck went at 32 miles an hour. Mm. Now, that, that, that's pretty quick to drive continuously in a circle. I respect truck drivers for driving long distances and however they do it, keeping awake, but surely driving around in a circle at the one speed with the steering must almost be locked. Why would you do it with drivers anyway? Why wouldn't you do it with autonomous vehicles? Yes, well, I, I assumed when I when I first saw this this story that it was about some kind of autonomous control and, you know, that it was all sort of run by computer and this was showing all their self-driving truck technology, but it isn't. It's just a publicity stunt, really, just for their trucks. So so maybe this, maybe this is a, maybe sort of a test for their, their drivers. You know, if you can put up with, with driving in a circle for 24 hours, you'll be safe on the road. <laughs> uh, this is the one job you don't get fired for for watching the clock. <laughs> Why didn't they just film it at four times the speed and then slow it down? Oh, you're being logical, David. Well, they, well, they, well they, they they could have tried that, but they would have had to drive around the. Um, well, that's true. The inside at about uh, what? What was it? Um, it's, well, it's thirty-two mile an hour, so it'd be a hundred and twenty mile an hour. So yes, okay, I take the point. It was done on a deserted airfield, and they described it as a seven hundred and fifty thousand square foot circle. I just love that square foot circle. It's Appeals to me. The only problem I can imagine is that if my wife did it, she'd get lost. <laughs> she doesn't have a good sense of direction. I'm in trouble now. Errol, do you have a story for us? Yes, David. Uh, you know how you have one of those days that starts off with one, one bit of bad luck and that sort of sets the tone for the whole day? Well, a wannabe car thief from Winnipeg in the US has had one of those. When he got in an idling car with no driver but got a bit thwarted by the stick transmission. The passenger still in the other seat probably didn't help. So he kind of um, ran away from that situation before he got busted. But inflamed by that misadventure, he followed that up by breaking into a house to steal a car he could he could drive, smashed that into several vehicles, including a cop car, then in abandoning that just to break into a repair yard to steal some more cars. Um, he didn't manage to steal them very well, because he eventually um, crashed one and then crashed a second one and eventually passing out at the wheel. It was obviously very tiring. Clearly, he, he didn't have a manual driving licence. He, he couldn't <laughs> operate the stick shift, as you say. Yes, yes. Well, obviously, there's even, even less people who could drive a stick in the US than, than we're familiar with here. Well, that'll get worse with autonomous cars. They won't even be able to drive the car at all. So... Having a car that isn't autonomous might be an anti-theft device. 
<laughs> I don't know how to make it go. It won't respond to my, my clicking of the mouse. <laughs> well, the other thing is, if you have an autonomous car, there's a certain anti-theft inherent within that because you couldn't really get an autonomous car to do a ram raid. No, true, true. So you really have to plan these things and get the right kind of vehicle when you're planning your crime spree. <laughs> Is there an autonomous command that you can talk into it that says drive onto the footpath and knock over the Trump placard or something like that? Well, I think you'd have to hack into the car, David, and you know disable the safety protocols. Ah. And, uh, you know, so then it sort of turns from the, you know, the good Terminator into the bad one. <laughs> Automatics mean more carjacking then. See, autonomous, you couldn't get, you couldn't steal a car and park it in a disabled spot. It wouldn't let you. No, no, you couldn't, you couldn't, uh, couldn't get away with that one. I mean, I, th I think uh, a lot of these things will be self-limiting because you get in and if you can't remember your Google password, then you're just not going anywhere. I mean, it's like an alcoholic lock, isn't it? <laughs> if you sit behind there and you don't have the thumbprint or something that identifies the approved drivers, you might mm. not be able to steal the car. Well, yes. Well, you've, you, obviously, you've got a plan to steal their smartphone first because that'll be the key to the car. Yes. But, uh, yes, I, I think I think this this, uh, this fellow in the US has uh, got, got a bit of work to do on that one. Well, he could learn to drive a manual while he's in jail. <laughs> Sit for a course or something. Errol, if you travelled overseas, it's sometimes difficult to understand, if understand at all, not just difficult, railway announcements and other things for transport when you're in a foreign country. Now there's a suggestion that they might be able to produce an app which you can have on your phone which will listen to train announcements and other things even within a noisy station platform and be able to translate it for you. We've seen those machines that might be able to do the translation. Can we do it in practical locations like railway stations? Would this appeal to you, Errol? Um, it would if it worked. I mean, I mean, uh, but I, I think um, the Japanese here should talk to the Koreans, which we mentioned last week, and put out a bounty for people to make sure that it's not too Chinglishy. Yes. Although I suppose technically it's not Chinglish if it's in Japan. The interesting part about this is that it's not actually translating the words that it hears. There's sort of a uh, subliminal, for want of a better term, kind of code in the sound, and it, he actually hears this code and then sort of, you know, looks up what the appropriate translation is. Oh, okay, that's rather clever. The only thing about that is there is ways they test those sound systems by sending through a microwave signal. Do you remember we did that story quite a number of weeks ago? But the trouble is that can have detrimental effects on your hearing, even if you don't hear the actual sound. Yes, yes. You don't, you don't want an ultrasonic, you know, yes. thing digging, you know, digging into your brain. We always had problems with railway announcements because we often had people working on the station where English wasn't their first language. So can you have an app that understands English with a heavy Eastern European accent you know, so that it can be able to translate that? Because mm. they might be speaking in English and you might not be able to clearly understand it by the time it goes over the loudspeaker system. Well, I'm, I'm often confused as to what language I'm listening to. The other thing is, if you have someone whose first language is in English, why not let them talk in their home language and have an app that can translate it? Mm. 
Maybe you could translate it from a, one heavy accent into another one. Well, that's one true. One you're more familiar with. Of course, it was the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy that really pushed this. The Babel fish was a little, a little fish you put in your ear and it translated everything that came in one language and, and put it into the language. It was obviously very satirical at the time, yet we're almost getting there, aren't we? Wouldn't I mean, we are talking about the Japanese here. It wouldn't surprise me if they come up with an actual electronic fish that you stick in your ear to do that. <laughs> I wonder if it translates, you know, when they're about to make an announcement, it goes, ding, 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 dong. It translates that first an annoying sound. <laughs> yes, well, this, this is, it's not just uh, for, for people of other languages. It's also for the um, hearing impaired. So um, perhaps okay. it could do that for them. Well, the other thing I really like it to do is correct my English. You know, there's nothing worse than saying something and someone coming and nitpicking about how you pronounce something, your pronunciation, for example. Mm. I'd really like it to do that. The other thing is, could it be polite too? So if someone sends the message over there with the drunken bastard at the end of the platform, get away from the edge, it would be translated in, would all passengers please obey the rule to keep back from the edge for their own safety? Yes. Well, I guess it depends who's uh, translating these messages That's before true. they go out. Hmm. So you could, you could have a lot of fun with this. Yes. What if you hack it? That's what I was thinking. <laughs> yes. I like, I like the idea. Well, someone will hack it to put in advertising, but that's other people might hack it to have a sa- satanic message. Yes, so put put in some subliminal messages in, in amongst the... Uh... You could expand that technology into records where someone hears a song, but they don't hear anything unless you sort of get this subliminal thing that's saying Paul is dead or other such messages. Yes, anything is possible, David. Errol, you, uh, if you have a number plate, what would you say on it? Well, you say there's a situation where in America some people have some problems. The laws vary a lot as to what you can and can't have. And, and there's been a study in the US that has found all of the different combinations and how they vary. So generally what, what you can't get away with are things to do with drugs, booze, race, religion or sex. Um, so there's a lot of general party conversations there that are ruled out. Every party conversation. So some ones that have been banned include um, drug you, one too many, which I, I didn't mind. I'm drunk. And Errol and I continue that conversation. If you would like to hear it, go to our website at drivenmedia.com.au. This has been Overdrive. My thanks to Errol Smith, David Campbell, Brian Smith, Alan Finlay and Paul Just for their great help during the program. Overdrive can be heard across Australia on the Community Radio Network. You can listen to longer segments of each of the features by going to our website at drivenmedia.com.au or podcast the whole program on iTunes or your favourite podcast service. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening. <laughs>